So, thought I'd start this series by just telling you when I think the world is going to end and see where it goes. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, I am, however, going to point to um, a dynamic that I see at work, and you probably see this at work too. Um, so it's not going to be new information to you. I just want to point it out as we, as we kick off this series. Um, I don't claim to speak for the majority of the world. I don't claim to speak for you. I will speak for myself. But one of the things that I see um, at play is it seems, um, on macro levels and micro levels, it seems like um, things aren't getting better in the world. It seems like things are getting worse. Um, and, and I know that there are pockets, there are areas, there are things that do get better. Um, but for the most part, uh, the general trajectory of the world seems to be down and to the right instead of up and to the right, right? You, you talk about the family, you can talk about marriage, you can talk about the, the, the volatility and hostility in the way that people talk to and treat each other. Uh, you can talk about the economy, you can talk about any of the stuff that you just saw in the bumper video. Like it seems like things aren't getting better. We, we even have, have you heard of this? We even have a doomsday clock, right? You, you know about this. Like whenever it strikes midnight, it's over. We, we, like we're recording this. We're tracking the things that, that get worse. So there's that side, right? But then there's this other side. And, and I don't know if it's just me. Like I, maybe I grew up an optimist, um, maybe it's American optimism. Um, maybe it's just the, the, the Jesus in me. I don't know. Um, but there's this other side that, that believes or thinks or this underlying belief that the future is going to be better. And, and we see this. We see this in our culture. Like you, you've heard since you were a little kid. I've heard since I was a little kid. Like parents would talk about, I want a better future for my kids. Where does that come from? Because we want a better future for our kids. We believe the future is going to get better. Or maybe, maybe you're not a native-born American. Maybe you immigrated to America. And one of the reasons you did that was because you want a better future for you and your family. Because you believe that the future could get better. Maybe you're the first um, child. Maybe you're the first grandchild in your family that went to college or you know, learned a, a trade. And, and, and you did that because you wanted a better future. You wanted, you wanted to move beyond where you came from, or maybe you came from a home of addiction and brokenness, and when you started your family, when you started your home, you, you said, I'm, we're not going to do that. I want something better than that. You know, if, if you don't like your job, get a better job. If you don't like your car, get a better car. If you don't like your house, get a better house. If you don't like your marriage, get a better marriage, I guess, right? If you don't like the president, if you don't like Congress, get a different one. It's, it's baked into our culture. This idea that the future is going to get better. So there's these two things happening all at the same time. And again, I may be the only one that thinks that. But I just want to start by asking you to ask yourself, follower of Jesus or not, like regardless of your, your religious or, or your, your perspective on God, like here's, here's what I want you to ask. What's your underlying assumption about the future? What do you believe is going to happen? I know you can't predict it, but what do you believe is going to happen? Is it going to get better? Is, is it going to get worse? What's your underlying assumption? 
about the future. And, and we're actually going to look at what Scripture says about this next week. We're going to look at what Jesus had to say about this. We're going to get into uh, what Revelation has to say about this. You've been waiting for me to preach on Revelation for years. Well, come back next week. We'll get to it, okay? So, so we're going to talk about that. But what is your assumption, regardless of all that? What's your assumption about what the future is going to hold. Now, I, sh- I, should, <laughs> I should put an asterisk here because this series is about the end of the world, and we're assuming there's going to be a part two next week, right? So if we don't get to next week, just know that that was what we were going to talk about next week, okay? But, but this underline is under. That's hopefully what we'll talk about next week. But, but today, in the introduction, and today is the introduction, so you're probably going to leave today with more questions and answers, because okay? I, I, view, I view series as it's like each chapter builds on, uh, on, the, on, on the next. So this is chapter one. And so don't judge the whole series by chapter one, all right? But, but in, in the introduction, the first chapter, I, I just kind of want to throw this out there. We're going to talk about it, and then I'm going to make some, some conclusions. Um, if we believe in human progress, why don't things get better? <laughs> If we believe in this, if we believe that, that humans can make things better, why don't things seem to get better? Because it's, it's, it's not just what I was you know, raised to believe. It's not just American optimism. It's, 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 it's not something just baked into our culture. This is something you see all throughout human history. And, and I'm, a, I'm a student of history. I'm an amateur compared to most of you. But I'm, I'm a student of history. And when you look at history, all throughout history... We've always believed in human progress. We've always believed that we can make this better, that we can conquer this, that we can figure this out. It's always been a part of our, uh, of our humanity, but things don't always get better. In fact, in a lot of areas, they seem to get worse. I mean, we haven't even mentioned climate change yet. What's going on there? Like nobody knows 100% sure. And you know what? For every single person in here, there's an opinion about that. But things aren't getting better. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. So as you look at history, there are, um, there are multiple issues, and I'm just going to throw out a few, but, but there are multiple issues that come up over and over again, generation after generation. So hostility, uh, conflict, greed, rage, hatred, those things never seem to go away. Some of you hate the Old Testament. You don't read the Old Testament. And one of the reasons you hate the Old Testament is because there's so much violence in there. There's so much war. There's so much bloodshed. But have you watched the news lately? Like, that hasn't stopped, has it? Part, part of the reason that sometimes we think that we've gotten better is because we live in these nice suburban bubbles in America. And I love where I live. I love that I get to live where I live. But you go anywhere else in the world... And, and the violence and the hatred and, and all of that stuff is as real and as evident as ever. Why haven't we figured that out? Why, why, why hasn't that gotten better? Why? Why aren't we able to solve those issues? And, and I know it's shocking to hear from a pastor in church, but I actually believe the Bible has the answers to those questions. So we're going to look at a couple passages today. They're both in Genesis 
first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, is where we're going to start. If you have a Bible or a mobile device, I'd love for you to open it up, find Genesis chapter 3. If you're watching online, grab your Bible, pull out your phone, uh, pull up the Bible app. Um, Genesis chapter 3, this is a, this is a narrative Genesis, we could, we could spend months in Genesis chapter three and never cover all of its richness. There's just so much here. And, and I know that there are some that are here, maybe you're watching this online, that you're going to roll your eyes whenever we get to some of this, because you're going to think, does, does anybody really believe that anymore in the 21st century? Um, you're going to struggle with this, but I'm telling you, this describes your life more than you can imagine. This, this, this describes the human condition more than, than any other narrative. And I, you may struggle with it. I don't struggle with it. But you might, okay? And part of the reasons you might struggle with it is because there's a talking snake. It's a talking reptile, okay? And you go, really? I mean, come on, seriously. But if that's you, and if you find yourself going there at any point today, here's all I want to ask you to do. I just want you to suspend your disbelief for a couple minutes, Okay? If you could suspend your disbelief for a couple hours when you watched snakes on a plane a couple years ago, you can suspend your disbelief for a couple minutes as we look at Genesis chapter 3, okay? So that's all I'm asking you to do, suspend your disbelief as we go through this and see what happens, all right? Here we go. Garden of Eden, this is the account of how everything went south when it comes to humanity. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent, the serpent represents evil, it represents Satan. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did you catch it? Did you catch it? He, he doesn't deny the existence of God. He says, did God really say? Did God really say? This is where evil starts every time questioning God. Did, did God really say that about sex? Did God really say that about identity? Like, does that stuff still apply to us today? Did, did God, you know, did Jesus really say that we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Does that apply to Republicans and Democrats or just one side? Like, did God really say? And, and like, we can talk about all this stuff out there. But when I look at the times in my life where I've decided to go my own way, it usually starts with this question. Did God really say that? Did God really say that I couldn't or shouldn't do that? And every time I go down that road, like, like my life gets more complicated, not less. Did God really say? The serpent starts sowing doubt in Eve's mind and heart, did he really say you, you, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? She responds, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die, which is partially correct. It's partially correct. God did say they couldn't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, but he never said they couldn't touch it. You know what's happening here? Man-made rules are getting placed on what God said, and it's confusing what God said. Do you know where that started? Genesis 3. Do you know it's still with us today? Man-made rules placed on top of what God said. 
confusing the issue. The irony here is that God is right there. He's still present. And all Eve had to do was turn to God and ask. Did you really say that? But instead of asking, they have a conversation about God instead of with him. And again, I look at my own life and I go, there are times where life goes wrong. God's usually right there. He's always present. He's always willing to talk. He's always willing to answer. And I go, huh, I think I'll figure this out on my own. Let's just have some conversations about God instead of with him. I'm telling you, there's so much here. There's so much here. Look at verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. God's making stuff up. He's, he's the wet blanket around here. Every time he comes into the room, all the joy just gets sucked out. Don't listen to what he says. And, and let me tell you something else. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. He's holding out on you, Eve. He's holding out, and he's afraid you'll be like him, and then he won't be in a category all his own. Don't you want to be like God? Don't, don't you want to know good and evil? I mean, it sounds like he's holding out on you. Sounds like he put up some barriers so you wouldn't be like him. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. So come on, just do it. Just eat it. You're not going to die. The opposite's going to happen. Your eyes are going to be open to the truth. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, we do this. I know that's what God said, but I want to look at it with my own faculties. I want to, I want to get my own hands on it. I want, to, I want to see it with my own eyes because it looks good to me. Seems good to me. I mean, if two loving, consenting adults love each other, then looks good to me. It's pleasing to the eye. Also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. She bought what Satan was selling. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Adam doesn't say anything, doesn't question anything. He's, he's really deep character in this part of the story. He's a bump on a log, right? He's just there, not participating. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Which means there was something special about the tree. There was something special about it. They could instantly see more, but suddenly realized they were less. Because they were always naked. But all of a sudden, shame, vulnerability, protection was added to the story. This, this is why you've, we've all had that dream where you go to school, usually middle school, and you didn't wear pants. Do you know where that started? Genesis 3. Right? Like whenever, whenever, whenever somebody physically attacks somebody, what happens? We're, we protect ourselves, right? Shame has entered the story. Vulnerability has entered the story. Knowledge of good and evil has entered the story. So what do Adam and Eve do? You know the story. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They tried to cover their shame. They tried to cover their vulnerability. And again, like, whether you believe this story is true or not, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is the story you've been dealing with your entire life. Like, Genesis 3 explains why you and me and the rest of humanity have this knowledge 
of good and evil. Now, what's, what's the knowledge of good and evil? What does that mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a couple shots at it. I am not a theologian, okay? I'm going to give it a good old college try. Um, but but here's, here's what I think. There's a couple thoughts I've got about the knowledge of good and evil. One way of thinking about it is we know enough to understand big problems, but not enough to solve them. We, we know enough to realize there's a problem there. Like, like that needs to be fixed or that industry isn't healthy for humanity or my marriage is leaking oil or that relationship is fractured. We know enough to see the problem, but not quite enough to solve it. It's true in parenting. It's true in relationships, in work. Sometimes it's even true in our relationship with God. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say, I want to be closer to God, but I just don't know how. That's the knowledge of good and evil. But I, I, I think it even goes a step further than that. You are unable to fully solve the problems you create. You're unable. Like you create a problem, you're unable to fully solve it. That's the knowledge of good and evil on full display. Here, here's an example. We're in August. How are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? Like, are you, are you still bathing in essential, essential oil and, and drinking 100 gallons of celery water every day? How's that going? Like, that's just a small, tiny little aspect. That's just, just, that's the problem. We create the problem, and then we're not really sure how to fix it. Or here, here's another one. If you have kids, if you're a parent, like, I remember coming to this realization. I don't know when it was. I don't know what was going on. I don't know. I don't remember the situation. I just remember, and I can't remember if it was Cole or Mason or both of them. I don't know. But they said something back to me, like disrespectful or with a little bit of an attitude. And my first reaction was not, how dare they talk to me like that? My first reaction was, I think I taught them to do that. <laughs> I think they learned that from their dad. I created the problem. And I'm not sure how to fix that. I, 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 and if you're mature enough, if you're self-aware enough, you start to realize that a lot of the problems in your life are caused by you. That's the knowledge of good and evil. And I get it. It's much easier to blame. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve start doing. God shows up and they start blaming. It's much easier to blame Washington, D.C. It's much easier to blame Hollywood. It's much easier to blame your spouse. It's much easier to blame your children. But guess what? The same issues that exist in Washington, D.C., and Hollywood, and your spouse, and your kids exist in your heart because of Genesis 3. We're broken, and we're not sure how to fix it. And if you got that going on in your life, if I got that going on in my life, it's not just that you're unable to solve the problems you create. We are unable to fully solve the problems we create. Now, we, we talk about making progress. We talk about solving problems, and collectively, we can make progress. And again, we do. Sometimes we do. But isn't it kind of like a whack-a-mole? 
You get rid of one problem, another one pops up. You get rid of that, another one pops up. It's just constantly whack-a-moles all over the place. And we, we don't ever quite make as much progress as we can. That's the human condition. That started in Genesis chapter 3. We are unable to fully solve the problems we create. Again, look at history. Just, just, just look at the last 150 years of history in the West, Okay, North America, Europe, you can add Australia in there. They're not necessarily in the West, but the culturally speaking, they are. Just in the last 150 years, the West has pulled away from God more than any other generation in human history. It started in the 19th century. Nietzsche said God is dead. And he meant all kinds of different things by that. But we ran with it in the 20th century. In the 20th century... It's hands down the most violent century in human history. 123 million people died just by warfare alone. And you ask why? And I know it's more complicated than this. I know there's more nuance to it than this. But it started by us saying we can solve the problems on our own. We can figure this out. We're smart enough. We can make enough progress. And we don't need God. And that started. It started in Genesis 3. And that's at the 30,000-foot view level. I want to I talk, just let's look at the, the, the ground level. Jordan Peterson, controversial figure. Um, you may not agree with everything he says or stands for, but he actually has a lot to say about the book of Genesis. And, and he has a lot of good things to say. Sometimes what he says is actually better than what some of the commentaries say. Um, but I want to point out one of the things he said. It, it, all of his stuff is available on his website, so you can go there and look at it. But he lectures on Genesis chapter 3 and the knowledge of good and evil. And I want you to hear what he has to say, because, again, I think there's some truth in this. Here's what he said. He said, what's the knowledge of good and evil? Here's the key. You know you're vulnerable. No other animal knows that. Okay, so you're, you're alone in your house, in the basement, at night, turning off all the lights so you can go upstairs and go to bed. You... <laughs> You could be the biggest, baddest, but if there's a noise that happens out of the ordinary in that moment, you're running up those stairs, right? Like I did this as a kid. I remember, it's still a little bit scary. We have a basement in our house. It's still a little scary for me to be down there by myself, turn off all the lights and go up the stairs. I go a little bit quicker up the stairs than I normally would, right? Why is that? <laughs> because we know we're vulnerable. We know we're vulnerable. It, it's, it's beyond that though. You know what hurts you. And now that you know what hurts you, you can figure out what hurts someone else. I've done this. I've done this. And I've done this to the people I love the most. I know I can say something. I know I can bring up something from the past that they've done. I know I can come up with something and intellectually own them. And I say it. I know if I do something, if I ignore, if I show apathy, if I show anger, if I do something to them, I know it's going to hurt them, and I do it anyway. What is that? What is that? As soon as you know what hurts someone else, and you can use that, you have the knowledge of good and evil. Well, welcome to the human condition. It's not good. Like, welcome to the post-Genesis 3 world. It's where we live. So, the, like, the question is, what do we do about that? 
What do you do about that? What do I do about that? If that's really what's going on, and, and we, can, we can argue, we can debate about if that's what's really going on, but if that's really what's going on, what do you do? What do you do about that? It goes back further than this, but again, for the most part, for the last 150 years of human history, most of our attempts to do something about that have excluded God. And don't just think you know, macro level, think, think about your own story. Because you've tried to figure life, you've tried to figure out relationship, you've tried to figure out love, you've tried to figure out acceptance, you've tried to figure out reputation on your own. You've tried to figure it out in, in, in certain point, points in your life, in certain moments, seasons, or maybe it's been the story of your majority of your life. All of us at one level or another have tried to exclude God in order to make progress. And if you want a picture of how that works out, flip ahead a few pages to Genesis chapter 11. Okay, this is the second passage I want us to look at. This is generations after Adam and Eve. And I just want, I just want you to hear this and see if it sounds familiar. Okay, Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, because the exit from the garden was always east, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. This is a picture of human progress. They've, they've, they've went from building with stone and mortar to brick and tar, because somebody figured out, hey, if we mix some of these elements together, we can make bricks, and bricks are better at, at, at load-bearing than stone is. So because of human progress, we moved from building a shack to building a tower. We saw this about 100 years ago when engineers realized we don't have to live in smaller buildings. We can build skyscrapers that are 20, 30, hundreds of stories high in the air. It changed the skyline of every major city in, in the world. Human progress. That's what's happening in Genesis 11. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. That's an important phrase. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And if you Google this story, uh, you're going to see images that look kind of like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Okay? That's probably not what they built. Okay, most, most commentators will say they, they built what, what's called a ziggurat. Some of you know what that is. It looks a little bit more like a wedding cake. It's got different levels with steps that go up. Um, to say, and, and, and they believed at the top of that tower was where the God lived. So they were creating a God, and they were trying to make a name for themselves. This is humanity saying, we can make a God and we can do this on our own. It's human progress. Verse 5, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Now, some of you really want me to explain why God did that, and I will not because I cannot, okay? But some of you also believe, some of you also think, huh, that's kind of what God did to me back in 1992. I was making progress. 
in that relationship, at work, in that industry, wherever it was. I was making progress. And it's like he just showed up and went, ding, not going to let you do that. And, and, and we're going to get to, in a couple weeks, we're going to get to the issue of evil and suffering. We're going to talk about that. But for now, just let the story stand on its own, okay? Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. This is where we get our word Babel, right? But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not to show us, oh, that's where Babel comes from. It's a little deeper than that. Here's why I think we have the story of the Tower of Babel. Here's kind of where I feel like we've been going the entire time, and this is, this is where we're going to head for home, okay? Here it is. Any attempt to replace God, assume you can play God, which despite all your efforts, you can't. Neither can I. Neither can we. All your attempts to replace God, your freshman year in college, when that really smart English professor started to punch holes through your belief in the Bible, your freshman year in college to your husband who just doesn't seem to get it, to trying to force your kids to believe something, to deciding you know better at work than any of your authorities, to ignoring what he clearly says in his word and replacing it with what you like. All of that assumes, and maybe you've never thought about this before, but all of that assumes that you can play God. Despite, it assumes you know better, and I'm learning more and more in my life, and, and, and I hope you're learning this as well. When I look around, despite my best efforts, I'm a puny God. I'm, I'm like Loki whenever the Hulk gets a hold of him and he just starts smashing him. I'm puny. I'm so, so small. Things don't go right um, in relationships. Things don't go right at work. And I get lost and I get frustrated. I get angry. And then I take a step back and I realize, oh, yeah, I'm not God. That's why I'm so frustrated. <laughs> I'm not the one. I'm not the one in charge. Despite all my best efforts, I make a terrible God. So here's the question I want to leave you with today. This is true for, it's true for followers of Jesus, but it's especially true for those of you who would say, you know what, Tim, I don't know that I can buy any of this. Like talking snakes is difficult enough, but you want to make me, you want me to make the jump to a, a guy who died and came back three days later. I don't know if I can get there. And listen, I get it. But I just want you to think about this question. If you're there, if you, if you can't get there mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I just want you to, to, to think about this question based on all of this. And this is for all of us, but it's especially for those of you who may have questions, okay? And I, I mean this seriously. It's going to sound sarcastic, but I mean it seriously. If you could figure it out, why haven't you figured it out yet? Like if you could figure it out and, and, and you, you define it as whatever you want it to be. If you could figure it out, why haven't you figured it out? And, and if we collectively 
could figure it out by now, why haven't we? Because every generation wants to make more progress. And we just keep on making the same mistakes. Want to get rid of poverty. Want to get rid of hatred and racism and war and all those things because we believe in human progress. But we haven't figured those things out yet. Why is that? And, and I think it goes back to what we've already said. And, and this is, I think this is my encouragement. This is my challenge for us as, as we start into this series. I, I think you should just confess something. And, and, and confess this over your life, over your relationships, over your finances, over your, your parenting, over your job, over the world in general. I, I just think we should start with this confession. I'm smart enough to see the problem. I'm not wise enough to fully fix it. To, to properly put ourselves in a posture where we say, yeah, God, God has, we are made in his image. And, and we're smart enough to see the problems but we're not God. So we're not smart enough to fully fix it. And that's an accurate description of the human condition. We're not smart enough to fix the problem fully. So can some of you just humor me, okay? Can we say this out loud together? And some of you have to say it under your breath because you don't believe it. I get that. If you don't believe it, don't say it, okay? But can we just confess this out loud together? Ready? Here it is. I'm smart enough to see the problem. I'm not wise enough to fully fix it. But do you know who is? <laughs> it's the one who is all things come from and all things go to. You sang that today. It's the one who all things were created for and all things will end in. His name is Jesus. He is smart enough to fix it. He's smart enough to fix it in your life, and he's smart enough to fix it in this world. And we're going to talk about that next week. But this is where you got to start. You got to start. <laughs> I can see the problems, Tim. I'm right there with you. But I... I just can't figure out, how do we fix it? So that's next week. But if you, if, if you really think we can do this without God, if you really think we know better than God, why haven't we figured it out yet? And as we, as we look at where the world is, we look at where it seems to be headed, I think we just need to be honest about the underlying assumptions, about our underlying beliefs. You've got to ask, if we could figure it out without God, why haven't we? Why haven't you? And I believe, as we'll see next week, God has some thoughts on this. And I think they make sense. I think we should pay attention. For those who have ears, let's hear. So let me pray for you as we take off today. And then Nikki has a couple things to share with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we have already confessed we, we, we've got issues. We had problems in the car on the way to church today that we can't fully fix. We don't know how to fully fix it. And God, some of us are walking back into work problems this afternoon or tomorrow. Some of us have kid problems that we're not fully able to get our minds around and know how to fix. 
And then God, as we look at the really, really big issues in life, really big issues in our world, it, it seems so overwhelming to us. But God, I am, I don't know if it's necessarily an eternal optimist. I guess I'm a Jesus optimist that I believe that you have a plan. I believe that there is a work going on behind the scenes that we can't see. And I believe ultimately and finally, you're going to fix it. And so we want, as, as, as best as we can, we want to live in a world that's falling apart, but we don't want to fall apart ourselves. We want to be a part of bringing bits and pieces of your kingdom to this earth. We want to be men and women of reconciliation, ministers of reconciliation, wherever we go. So, Father, would you help us with this? God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what, what you have said to each and every one of us, what you're saying to your church, and then the courage to go and do what you've asked us to do. And in the end, we will give you praise because as we started today, you're worthy of it all. It is for your glory that we do these things. And we ask this, we pray this, all in Jesus' name.